Hey guys, it's Liz. What's going on guys, it's Dan. And this is Polos and Khakis. We have uh, two of our former classmates with us, one who graduated a year before us and one who graduated with us, uh, Mr. Zach Winterberg and Jorge Santana. Zach earned his BS in exercise science from Florida State and then went on, obviously, to USF, got his master's. He is currently the athletic trainer for the Colorado Rapids second team, uh, which we just learned. We thought he was still at the academy, but now he's on the second team, so a little promotion there. Uh, Jorge got his both bachelor's and master's from USF, uh, go Bulls. And he's the academy athletic trainer for the Nashville Soccer Club. Uh, boys, it's good to see you, and uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I think we should just start off for all the non-soccer people or the people who don't know how American soccer works, about how the academy and the second tier um, or the second team system works here, just for like a little context. Yeah, so the the academy system in the U.S., we're trying to make it similar to how it is in, in Europe. Um, a lot of the top teams, the professional teams in Europe and now in the United States have um, academy structure for, for player development where, you know, they try to develop the players into uh, pros um, so they can sign them to their first teams eventually, especially in the United States, uh, potentially sell them off to, to, to European clubs. Uh, South American clubs, Mexican clubs, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, new in the U.S. this year, uh, they, they developed uh, a new league, uh, MLS Next Pro League, which is where I'm currently working, um, just to assist in a bridge with that development. Because unlike overseas in the U.S., we have college soccer as well. And so uh, just to give the, the clubs a little bit more fluid relationships between the academy and the first team. Yeah, I mean, to touch up on that, um, the academy kind of where I guess the MLS Next Pro kind of works as a bridge as well as the academy, you know, from the youth development programs and that new league that big, big time Zach is in now is basically the ideal scenario for somebody to come from the academy and then bridge through that league and then into the professional first team setting. Um, and then it kind of, if you guys are familiar with hockey, I think it's very similar with the juniors. Um, you can kind of seek that route or go towards a collegiate setting. But once you seek that route, you can't return to go play in a collegiate setting as you've already put in the professional setting and you've already signed a professional contract. So it's kind of similar from those ends. Yeah. And then just to, to build on that. As well, you know, players are going to develop at different at different points. Um, you know, some, you know, when they're 13, 14 years old, you might say, "Oh, that player's got it. That a player has what it takes. You know, they're a leader on the field. They're very highly skilled. They're going to make it." But some players it might be when they're 18, 19 years old. So, you know, that's what's you know, U.S. soccer and, and the MLS specifically. They're, they're trying to give players every opportunity to develop when they're ready to take that next step uh, for their clubs. I think that system kind of works because like Jorge kind of mentioned about hockey where guys kind of have late bloomers and things like that. So you play hockey, you know, through high school, you're 16, 17, then you go play juniors for a couple of years. You know, you mature, you get stronger, you know, your game gets a little better. And then you go to college as a, you know, 20, 20, 20, 20 to 21 year old freshman. Um, it's just from a developmental standpoint, it's better off. So I guess that it kind of sounds similar um, in that way, like Jorge said. 
Definitely. And even, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Zach. No, I was just saying, we even on in our, our club, I'm sure it's the same with other MLS Next Pro clubs where players can even go off to college and, and maybe they excel there. And then now there's a new opportunity where they're, maybe they're not at that pro level yet, the, the top level yet, but they have now they have another opportunity to become a pro and be signed and continue their development. So we have a couple guys that played college, you know, maybe not weren't scouted for the for the draft, whoever maybe, and now they get opportunities uh, around the country to to prove themselves again. So that's interesting. Yeah. So um, when a kid is in your academy or with your club and goes off to college, or you know goes that route, do you guys still own their rights for a year or two? So if you say, you know, hey, college doesn't work out, like, can I still come back to Colorado or Nashville? Um, you know, do you guys still have any type of share of them um, past them going to college? Yeah, so I think each each club, correct me if I'm wrong, Jorge, um, but I think each club has you know, the, the rights to a specific region of the country where they can recruit kids. Um, you know, if you know, we, had, we had a couple kids in our academy that were from out of state. So, for example, the Rapids Academy, you're getting players from you know, all over the state of Colorado who come and train every day. You know, you know, Vail, for example, is an hour and a half, two hours away. You would have like three or four players from Vail that would, would travel to train every day. You know, they, they know they're going to get the best coaching, the best experience thus development at, at our club you know and then we have other players that are from out of state who we recruit that will need to you know i guess ask other clubs or in some cases pay for their rights to then be signed by our, our first team you know so we can develop them but as soon as we say oh that player's got it now it becomes a deal that the clubs have to make. And they're, I think they're called homegrown territories. And so, yeah, the clubs have to negotiate that uh, at a higher level, um, up at the management level. Um, and clubs want that because if the player ends up developing to someone that can be sold, then you can, you're going you're gonna to get um, money from, from that, that, that deal being done. So, Yeah, right on. Um, yeah, no, I mean, similar to to you guys, we so every to touch up on that, I guess every MLS club has a territory, and some territories are larger than others. Um, some have pretty small territories. I think um, I think you buy territories. I'm not 100 sure on on how that works. Like the game of risk, but within your territory, yeah, within your territory, you're only allowed like every student athlete or, or uh, academy player or just youth development player that plays the sport is kind of pertains to that territory. So us in Nashville, we can't go to Maryland and scout a kid and just bring them. Um, and if we do find somebody in Maryland, um, not that I would do that, but our scouting department, you know, um, they would reach out to all the Maryland teams and, specifically probably DC United and they would reach out to them is like, Hey, what do you know about this player? And it's gotten to a point, I think in the States where every single player 
from the age of 14 and up is already has already been scouted by all MLS clubs and anybody can reach out to any club and let's say us like we'll reach out to somebody from Oregon be like hey what do you know about this player from a small town in Oregon and chances are somebody knows every little detail and data about that specific kid and it's crazy to think right because there's millions of kids that are playing soccer across the states and but yeah and, and ideally the reason for that is essentially from a business standpoint every club um, once you sign a player as an academy player that player becomes part of your club and then if that player is then scouted from a club overseas let's say um, a club from spain and they're interested in them um, whether he's 15, 14, 16, whatever it is, whatever contract they do sign, or if they do um, try to get this kid overseas, 100% of the profits will go to the club rather than from the first team standpoint. I think the MLS takes a percentage out of that. So um, I think the goal is now that you kind of see a lot of the youth or the younger national team players in the professional level, like uh, Weston McKenney or Alfonso Davies. Uh, well, it's Canadian level, but or Canadian national team. Um, they sign contracts overseas for millions of dollars. Like we're talking like overseas in, in Spain or Germany or um, England. These deals are not that much for them. And now is when all these clubs are kind of taking advantage of it and seeing that there's a lot of, um, investment put into the academies and that's where they're making a lot of their money so uh, ideally what most clubs are trying to invest in now is academies because that's where it's a seller's market in the mls where it's i guess it was a seller's market it's like it's slowly not becoming that much not so much of that but ideally they're just trying to sell all these academy players so that they can make more profit out of it and reinvest into their first teams and all that yeah, and just to build on that, you know, a lot of clubs have a variety of homestay programming. So basically players that are from out of state, you know, can that join the academy. You know, we'll stay with, in our in Rapids case, we'll stay with a, a family. Maybe it's a, a family of one of the other players on the team or it's, you know, a family that is, are fans of the club you know, that are willing to take the, the player in uh, and the club will compensate them for that uh, for housing and food etc and some some academies have built out you know it's almost like you're living at a resort you know i know rsl is one you know, i think toronto is another like philly um there's yeah there's varying levels um but the goal is player development and to provide a a home type atmosphere um, for these young players that are leaving I mean, imagine leaving your family at the age of 14 or 15 years old you know, to, it's basically like going, to, in a sense, going to college when you're that young, you know, you're still trying to figure everything out. And so it's, uh, you know, especially in you know, today and age, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, in terms of, at least on the athletic training side of things, the emotional toll, mental toll that takes. So. It's weird to me that we think of, um, making kids profitable you know what i mean like i feel like we talk about it a lot in pro sports but 
the thing that's weird to me about the academies is that you decide that there's a profit to a 14 year old kid and like they're not they're not wrong you do make money long term off of developing those players but I feel like it's a really weird mindset that kind of seeps into youth sports across the board that like it stops being about like kids having a sport to play and have fun and like develop social skills and it's just like weirdly money-based for kids who like you said are like just figuring it out like you don't know anything at 14 you certainly don't know that you're gonna make millions of dollars playing a sport I don't know it's a it's a mindset shift that I have to make when I think about it because it doesn't come naturally to me to think of kids that way yeah 100 yeah and I I I agree. I think, you know, the, the amount of pressure that's put on these kids in the academy and they're asked to, you know, go to school, a lot of cases online full time, you know, they're asked to travel almost every weekend. So they're missing class. And then, you know, they're, <laughs> they're asked to perform at a high level, like they're, you know, young pros, you know, so there's a lot of pressure there from, you know, a lot of them come from underprivileged areas as well. Some don't. But, you know, a lot of times their families are relying on them. You know, oh, you know, my child's in the academy, like, you know, this is our chance, you know. And so a lot of those kids feel, they feel that pressure, at least in my experience, um, you know, to, to perform, you know, as if they're young professionals. And you know, a kid who's a teenager who just wants to hang out with his friends, you know, could be, could be, can be challenging at times yeah i mean 100 i mean you kind of think about all the sacrifices they make they pretty much leave their high school experience basically they don't a lot of these kids just i don't want to say ruin but they let go of all their friendships from all their friendships from when they were growing up you know just because that mental load is so drowning sometimes you know the season is so long and then you go to school all day and then from there you go to weightlifting class or a lifting program and then from there you go to a training session and then you get home and it's eight o'clock and you have 30 to an hour to do your homework and cram everything in and then from there you sleep and then wake up at 6 a.m to do a morning session again and some of these kids um at least for us like we have kids driving from knoxville which is three hours away and they drive there and back every day um, kids from Alabama, two-hour drive every day. It's crazy. And we have a couple kids from Arkansas, like Memphis. And some kids are, like, their parents are also making these sacrifices, right? So Zach kind of touched up on, on that that pressure. And the pressure is not only from themselves and whether or not they're, they're going to make it professionally, but also knowing that their parents and family members are making sacrifices for them. So it, it can be tough, I think, and especially towards the end of the season. And we're actually at the point of the year now where we're cutting some kids and and we're bringing new kids in. So it's always got to be on your P's and Q's here and just making sure that, you know, you're aware of everything and, and especially those kids that are going to be having tough conversations and just making sure that they have all the resources and all the support they need because you never know what's going on at home outside of that training or the environment that we put them in, you know? So as a sports medicine staff, then how do you, you know, understand like, Hey, like this kid's coming from Montgomery, Alabama or Memphis, Tennessee every day. 
you know, and the pressure we just, you know, kind of alluded to, like, how do you as a staff kind of help them handle that? You know, do you guys have resources? Do you guys give them, you know, days off or outlets or, you know, in your programs, at least, how do you guys, you know, kind of let them still be somewhat of a kid at times when they need it? Um, I kind of, I'll touch up on that real quick. It's, it's not that smooth of a transition, to be honest. Um, a lot of them are sh- just get shell shocked immediately once they enter the, the environment. Um, me being part of the sports medicine staff. And right now I'm, we just hired a fellow, uh, fellowship program, uh, started a fellowship program with the, with the Academy, but um, I'll just touch up on last year. Um, it's a tough transition for somebody that's not experienced in the setting and somebody that's used to playing rec league or let's say in a, in a com- completely different setting to just jump right in and, and get thrown in, into this environment. Um, a lot of, a lot of kids don't make it because of, you know, just not being mentally strong, I guess we can call it that, or, or just not having the proper support at home. Um, we do provide some services from, we do have a, a mental performance coach that um, I'm trying to get involved more within the academy, but it's uh, it's a work in progress, you know, but um, no, I mean, it's at the end of the day, like we do have, uh, I think the culture that we have created within our, our academy is, it's, it's a, it's such a good culture that everybody's very welcoming everybody's caring um there's no but there's a lot of pressure coming from the game itself but you know the staff just kind of tries their best all around to be positive you know prevent any negativity just knowing that we don't know what's going on in these kids heads and and all the pressure that they're going through just that's the best we can do just trying to provide that positivity for them and and being welcoming enough so that they can trust you and come up to you for anything. But it is difficult when we do come to the end of the week and we have a game and only certain players meet the roster. And sometimes those new players don't meet the roster for, for months. And it's difficult, you know, as you enter that level and then you don't meet the roster, they kind of, you know, you think about what's going through their head, you know, what are they, are they thinking they're, they're not good for it? You know, you just kind of, being aware of all that and and at the end of the day there's so much you can do but i think as long as you provide your you're able to provide any any resource for them that they're going to feel welcome and and they're going to feel included and i mean i think besides from that just just try to do the best you can so that the parents at home and everybody at home also provides all the support they can and and it, it, it's it sounds like it's so easy, but there's ninety of there's ninety players down there, mm-hmm. and it's only one of me, and right. just trying to get all that in a in a in a tight circle and just trying to communicate all that and just pretty much making sure that everything is stays connected is is the best, but obviously it's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, I think I think the key word there for me is, is awareness is, as Jorge mentioned, just being emotionally aware of individual situations with, with your players um, and having the AT room, uh, athletic training room being an open space where you know, they can come to talk to you about anything. Um, Cause the reality is 
you know, these kids are going to experience you know, failure at some point, whether it's losing a game or maybe doing bad in school or, you know, some of, some of our, play, our players, like they did so well growing up, you know, have had no issues. They never lost, you know, and all of a sudden this past year, they, they, they had some adversity for the first time, maybe in their lives, you know, and you know, a lot of them, some of them struggled with that. And so just having that awareness and, saying hey you know can you talk about it or anything i'm here for that um, i think that's a big part of our job that needs to be needs to be a priority as well on top of just preparing the players as best we can you know i think you know, having that awareness and that emotional intelligence to to recognize things and knowing how to get them the help that they need with the with the rapids uh, we do have um, a fellowship program as well that that can provide support for our players. And that goes to some of the first team down. Um, and they do, they do a good job and they come out to training as much as they can. Uh, we have in the past used maybe like a, an intern, so to speak, or someone who's getting their doctorate in psychology at a local university who comes in and can provide support once or twice a week. Um, and that that is a little more inconsistent as, as uh, I think all of us would, would like, at least on the Rapids. Um, you know, but when we did have them around, you know, they were able to do preseason like screenings on on players, you know, and they're we able to create that relationship. So I think, you know, not enough clubs have the the sports psychology involvement uh, as much as they probably should. Um, so hopefully that that changes in the next few years. I think at the end of the day, you just realize like you, they're still kids, right? Like they're still, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18. So they're still growing as a person. I mean, just like we are as professionals every day. So you guys are kind of in it together, but, you know, helping them be a part of that growing process. Be like, listen, like, you know, failure is part of life and, you know, I'm here to help you and, you know, whatever we can do to, you know, help you get through it and kind of push through adversity and work through it. And like I said, growing as a person and being aware of that is it kind of goes a long way for these kids. For sure. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta keep in mind that not every single kid is going to make it to the professional level. You know, it's probably going to be one, maybe two on each team per, per team. Right. So it's, you know, I don't think that them seeing that adversity or being exposed to it isn't as bad. You know, if anything, it's only going to prepare better for the future, whether it's in soccer or in life. So just trying to show them how to deal with it and how to prepare for it is is kind of the key for us so you guys have both worked um at least for short periods of time with professional teams um i know you both did stuff with the lightning and then other stuff after that do you see any similarities between the way that the academies function and like the way pro teams function or is it kind of just like a, a watered down version of it yeah i, I think you know, these, you know, the experience with Lightning, you know, is very detail-oriented. You know, there's a standard to meet. Shout out Mike Poirier. Uh, <laughs> there's standards to meet, right? And I think in the in the pro pro setting, you know, it's very important to have that attention to detail because um, you want to provide that, that atmosphere. You want to provide that environment. You know, we were trying to prepare them to transition to, to becoming pros. So I think that's uh, – I personally definitely brought that from 
my experience with Atlanta and with with the Lightning. And so, yeah, I, I just think it's it's really important. For that. Yeah, I mean, and to touch up on what you kind of mentioned, Lizzie. Yeah, I mean, ideally, we do want to um, make it water down from the top down. And however, the first team does certain things. We want to implement things the same way with the academy, and and a real realistically, it's not as easy as it sounds. Just because the numbers are a little bit, uh, there's a little bit more of um, just players in general, um, personnel wise. The academy tends to have less personnel compared to first team, and part of it is a budget thing, you know. Um, but I think you you do try to meet certain guidelines that are followed by the first team, and then you kind of figure out a way to meet those guidelines within what you have in your in your setting. Now, is it perfectly identical to the first team? Maybe some things, probably not most things, but in a in a perfect world, you would want it to be that way. It's just it, with the personality, you just kind of have to make things work in a certain way. So, yeah, 100%. So for our listeners who are, um, I guess, not sure what a day-to-day life looks like for you guys at your different levels, I know it fluctuates a lot depending on if you guys are traveling or if you're in season and out of season, um, but could you give them just like a rundown of kind of what your day looks like on a, an average time? Yeah, no. So for me, this year has been all over the place. Um, being our first year as an academy and in, in the in the MLS Next um, league, and similar to I think kind of what what Zach was touching up on. Just I've never done this before, so just trying to figure a lot of things out. Um, I don't think COVID made it any easier. Um, just trying to keep and keeping tabs of the latest CDC guidelines the the federal guidelines you know um what the what the league guidelines are and then at the same time trying to stay up to date with what the, the club and the first team are doing and then on top of that you know us being being in the south a lot of the a lot of the area or a lot of the population in the area aren't very receptive to the pandemic and that has been that has been a bit of a struggle for me this year but it has gotten better. Um, luckily, a lot of the mandates have gone down, so it makes my life a little bit easier. Um, but on the same sense, last year, we didn't have a full-time performance coach um, or a strength and conditioning coach. So I was kind of doubling up on that in a sense, just not doubling up, but just assisting our part-time um, when available. And at the same time, just trying to as I've only been here for a year, just trying to see how the first team functions um, and certain things that they do and how they do things. That way it's a smooth transition um, for the players and for staff, just putting in a little bit of um, like double time hours here and there just to make sure that the, the, the foundation that's created in the academy is there's a strong structure to it. That way in the years coming, it just becomes easier and there's already something to, to, to rely on, I guess. And, and it's just an easier transition just for every little policies and protocols and 
this was the first time that I've created EAPs and COVID EAPs and all these different protocols um, for our residency program. If something happens to any of the kids that are in, with our host families and stuff like that, which I've never been exposed to, but um, to touch up on on like a day, like a normal average schedule, day, like a average day and what it looks like. Um, typically, I like to kind of get all my administrative work early in the day, um, probably from nine to about 12, um, including just rehab programs and um, anything else, communication with parents, communication with staff, first team, um, front office, and as well as parents. And then after that, from 12 to three o'clock, ideally try to meet with coaches, try to meet with our operations department, and our team administrator just to make sure that everything's um, organized and and everything's looking clean for the week and and for the day as well. Um, and once we kind of do that, then I get an idea of what the sessions will look like for for each team. That way, I know how I'm going to transition the players that are coming from a long term injury or short term injury into the the training session and and then once four o'clock comes around then it's crazy time you know we got about 80 kids coming in um trying to manage and and direct traffic as best we can um right now we don't have a a very organized athletic training area um we kind of have a pavilion outside and we I, every day i just take out a massage table and i just take out a bunch of gym equipment and just do everything outside and it actually works out really well because of COVID and it just makes things, it kind of lets me avoid a different problem that I, or a conflict that I could have. Mm-hmm. So having everything outside isn't, isn't, it's actually a call a pro for me. Um, and then I try to do all the maintenance programs, all the corrective exercises and rehabs right before training starts, which typically we have about 30 minutes. And then once 4.30 hits, the players kind of go on the field. The ones that are training fully go on. Um, The coaches by this point know which players are full, which players are doing partial training, which parts are are participating in, how they're participating. And then the ones that are long-term injured, they will be um, doing rehab with me in my my pavilion. And... um, and then if anything happens, uh, any like first response or emergency acute injuries happen, typically I just leave my my inju- my pavilion area and I just head down there, you know, just take care of business on the field and then and go from there. But a lot of the times I'm just bouncing in and out, in and out since we really only have 90 minutes to do a whole, you know, like a four hour day. So do what we can, you know, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So I definitely, you can relate to that coming from the, the Academy. You know, when I first started there, I was to Jorge, you know, would work out of uh, work strictly outside, you know, you show up with a treatment table, rehab equipment. Um, I do think it's important that athletic trainers have a, at least a decent understanding of, if you're working soccer specifically understanding of the strength and conditioning aspect, because there might be times where you're having to 
provide input in that or lead a player through that type of activity, whether they're coming back, whether they're in partial training or uh, returning from a long-term injury and reconditioning, I think it's important. So I was, was pretty grateful to have that, at least initially coming out of school to, to have that experience, to, to gain that experience. So that will help prepare me for, for this year and, and, and beyond. Um, I can definitely, definitely relate to that. Um, at the, at the, my, my, my day currently. So, well, get to, get to work about six thirty seven, um, not six thirty seven, but six thirty or seven, uh, AM, you know, we get all the hydration stuff knocked out of the way. Like I already said, you know, respond to some emails for administrative, uh, tasks, maybe some documentation, um, to start the day. And then players usually show up around eight fifteen, eight thirty. Um, you know, we have guys that are rehabbing, you know, we'll do a rehab type plan for, for that specific player or two or three, uh, however, however the week's going. Uh, and then coaches meetings from nine to nine forty-five or so just to understand what the session is going to be and how maybe like, like Jorge said, a player that's returning from injury or in the session partially, um, we, we understand like what everybody understands what the plan for that player will be. And so there's no risk that they're going to be overloaded or underloaded. We, we want to hit the benchmarks that we want to hit as they're, they're coming back. Um, so that, that's really important, that communication with the coaches. And then, you know, from maybe 9.30, we usually train around 10.30. So 9.30 to, to 10.30 or so, 10.20 or so. You know, I'm helping players with their individual programming, prehab plans, um, you know, doing treatments, you know, preparing their bodies to, to perform uh, and be the, the best that they can be on that specific day. Um, then usually train about two hours or so. And then after training again, you know, treatments for about one or, one or two hours, uh, documentation, um, if, if I can help out the academy as well, uh, I will do that during that during that time. Um, and that's uh, yeah, pretty much it. You know, just, just try to be you know, consistent you know, each day. And you know, it, it, a lot of things can get lost in the in the shuffle of, of what we do. And just you know, in, in order to to keep the team as healthy as possible, you know, it's just important that the players are consistent, especially with their programming. But you know, the, the, as clinicians, that we are ready to show up every day do you guys you know, as an academy or you know the second team do you guys work out of the same you know athletic training space uh, you know how does that work and you know from your standpoint from the academy athletic trainer to the head athletic trainer of the of the first team you know how do you guys work as a staff you know as a whole unit yeah i think i think it's really important to have at, at the club level from the head at for the first team the academy, I think it's important to have a continuity and, and good communication and an understanding of how, like Jorge said earlier, of how they do things. Um, I don't think that everyone needs to always agree on, on how things should be done. You know, it's good to have different perspectives. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you're working together, you're having that communication so things can flow. You know, for us, for example, we're getting players from the first team that come down to train getting players from the academy that come up to train with us at times. So there's a lot of movement 
And so that communication is ever more important. You know, understanding, you know, okay, like we're getting a first team player down. Like what do they do pre-training? You know, how can I prevent the in injuries from happening? You know, how can I put them in a good position to succeed? You know, so and and try to make it so that they aren't seeing any differences. You know, whether it's between the sessions or or how things are run pre-training. You know, and, and just having a good understanding of that. But I think it's important to streamline the processes from the top down. And you know, like I said, it's good to collaborate and and it's okay to have different perspectives, but at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're there for the athletes, you're there for, to help them succeed. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it does become difficult at some points when um, there's a, there's a bit of a, a different timeline. Um, you know, the one, one group kind of trains in the mornings um, like Zach kind of mentioned at 7am, they kind of show up and they begin training at 1030 or 10 o'clock and then, they're out of there by the time you go, you show up to work. Um, as Academy for me, they train in the evenings. So uh, that's part of the reason why twice a day, twice a week or, or whenever I can try to show up early and just to make sure that whatever you want to communicate with the first team staff, you try to get that out of the way early or, or just having that relationship with the first team. Um, because there will be times that, you know, Academy players do, get called up to the first team and they train with the first team and there's a few kids that have issues going on or maintenance program or they have certain load numbers they have to meet and just making sure that everything's communicated and everybody's in in that same page um, just to prevent any issues of overloading or or at the same time if anything does happen with an academy player with the first team just making sure that gets communicated down to me you know that's also important i mean at the end of the day those academy players are going to be playing games with the academy and i'm the one that's going to be covering those games as you know they're, they're training with the first team but they're going to be able to learn most from games with the with the academy um i think besides that um just kind of touching up on you know from the top down something i'm very lucky with um with uh with nashville is that our our head athletic trainer and the culture that he kind of believes in and he's trying to set kind of falls align with what I kind of want to implement with the academy. Um, we, this is going to sound, nah, you can take it however you want. But, you know, that the idea of not treating every individual that walks through the doors, right? In the academy setting, you have 90 kids. You can't, you can't be accountable for just doing treatments on every single kid that comes through the door. So holding each player and each kid accountable to, to their own bodies and making sure that they're taking care of themselves. And if they do see that, or if we do see that they're doing everything they can and they're just not seeing progress, then they can seek out me as a resource to um, doing the next steps or whatever. And, and making sure that, you know, that there's somewhat of a synergy between that type of treatment and that culture, as well as the, the first team. That way, by the time the academy kids that do get called up to the first team, they show up to the training and it's not a different day for them. It's the same, you know, same routine. We do the same thing that they're doing and they're not, you know, it's normal. It, it, it should be a normal day for them. And, and there shouldn't be much of a difference between what the days look like and what the, what the schedules are compared to the, how we do things with the Academy. So 
so yeah, no, I mean, that has made it easier for me. And then I'm sure for, for the first team, for the guys that do get called up for the first team from the academy, the staff also sees that they're transitioning fluidly. So that that is a, a plus for sure for players and staff. You guys have both touched on load management a lot. Um, which I always find really fascinating. I think that soccer does a really good job about um, managing load and like understanding what load is appropriate or not appropriate. But I know that both of you are usually um, alone for your large volume of athletes. And so like, are you guys responsible for kind of um, collecting load data and then kind of spreading out what needs to happen when, or do you work with somebody to do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so with the at, at the MLS Next Pro level, um, thankfully I have a full-time performance coach on staff who uh, will will work with the, the GPS data and provide that data to to me um, every day. And so that data is collected. You know, we we there's certain benchmarks that that we're looking for that we want the players to meet on that specific day, um, and then. You'll, you'll try to prepare them each week. Um, pretty much every week looks pretty much the same in terms of you know how we want the load to look day by day. Um, you, know, you want to have a little increase midweek and then taper into the weekend, uh, into the matches, so that the guys are guys are fresh. Uh, but it's something that you know, we do look at. You can look at you know acute and chronic load over the course of a season, or that you know, specific day or specific week. You know, I think it's really important with return to play as well. You know, having an understanding of you know, these are these are the demands of the sport, you know, and these are the demands of the position, you know, because a, a, a center back is not going to have the same type of load as a center mid or the same type of actions or movements that that center mid, mid will have. You know, there's much more XLD cells or, this, you know, the the, the the wing back or the the fullback is going to be doing a lot more high speed running up and down the field, so you know understanding that load and what they're going to be exposed to in a match is is really important if 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 you're going to be working in the soccer setting, and as athletic trainers we need to understand that as well. Um, so yeah, just you know, taking all those variables into account, you know position, you know what what demands what the demands of the sport are, you know, and then working with um, the resources that you do have, um, if you're lucky enough to have them to you know, come up with a plan for that player as they're returning to play uh, or their load throughout the week. So, you know, if we say, see, Oh, you know, this player's been fatigued for the last couple of days, you know, why is that, you know, what's their wellness screening look like, you know, we'll talk to them individually. Hey, how are the legs feeling? You know, they shouldn't be feeling like this, you know, match day, you know, minus four, minus three, and you know, maybe, you know, cl closer to after a match, or you could be more fatigued. Uh, we want our guys feeling fresh. And, you know, if, if we see something abnormal, we can go back and say, okay, like, how, how can we manage this player to prevent in injury and you know, give them the most success on the field? Yeah. Yeah. And we're still, we're still trying to figure out what the best system for us is. Um, just regarding all that data collection, you know, we have, we also have a GPS on only one of our teams. Um, and then on top of that, we have a wellness questionnaire that we do daily. And then we have RPE collections at the end of the day. 
and just kind of finding that middle ground and, and finding consistencies between some of those data points. Um, we're trying to figure all that, like a, a better system going into next year. Um, right now, I'm working very closely with our performance department, with the academy to figure out um, those benchmarks that kind of Zach touched up on and kind of getting a better idea of what metrics are to look at for certain individuals or are we looking at the same metrics for everybody? And then if so, like what numbers does, is should there be just one specific number that they all meet or should there be different numbers that they should be meeting by the end of the week or daily or just games? You know, just kind of figuring all that out. Um, for me specifically, I'm not, I'm not dealing with much of that at the moment. Our performance department kind of cleans all that information up and just kind of sends a report at the end of the week or at the end of the day and gives me the ability to take a look at it and, and seeing if there's any red flags for any of the guys. Um, we do have a system in place called Kitman Labs that allows me to kind of put some of those numbers and some of that information together um, in ways that I, I can manipulate as well. Um, I have been playing a lot with it lately for some of the individuals that do have soft tissue injuries or that do have chronic issues going on and just making sure that as we're gradually progressing into, you know, return to play, um, that we're gradually increasing those numbers or gradually meeting certain loads, whether it's, you know, 90% sprint velocity plus or, or making sure that, you know, somebody who's not meeting those numbers and or somebody who's not meeting any or getting any sprints at max speed or any or 90% plus velocity, um, that they are at least at the end of the week, they got to be meeting some or reaching at least a 2% of whatever their total workload is for that week. Um, we, I found that that's a good way to prevent hamstring injuries, um, mainly just for, for those guys that aren't used to getting up to those speeds that way they're that way if we do make sure that they're meeting those speeds or meeting those that criteria every week they don't their bodies don't don't get shocked in a game when they do get to high speeds and they they tear something and try to communicate that with our departments and try to make sure that we implement exposure runs at the end of the day just making make sure that those guys that are that are lazy, you know, they're meeting those, uh, meeting those numbers. Um, and at the end of the day, that's only going to put less work on me. So, but again, there's, there's still so much information that I don't know what to do with and still trying to figure out how to piece it all out and put things together. And, and this is when like communicating with the first team and seeing how they do things has helped me a bit. And, just to see how they kind of help manage their load with their athletes and then type of help program something similar to the academy. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's important to look at the numbers, but at the end of the day, like it's also important to understand your athletes and, and know them. And there's that piece to it as well. And, you know, if something feels off, if they look like they're, you know, overreaching or fatigued out, more than they normally are, you know, like you can use those cues as well to 
you know, you can keep it pretty simple. You know, I think some sometimes we're we're getting a little too like much into the numbers where it's like, you know, oh, everything has to be data, 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 data. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're humans. Like, you know, you can talk to each other and understanding your athletes can help um, get an idea of of where they're at physically. You say, yeah, maybe we maybe hold them out of this session. We make them a neutral. You know, whether they're, they're getting less XLD cell work during that specific exercise, you know, whatever it may be, you know, just to keep them fresh. We're, uh, we're lucky enough at our school to have catapult with our men's soccer team. I don't know if you guys is at the GPS use, but, uh, our head coach is uh pretty old school. He's an old Englishman. You know, he's a great guy. Um, but he's all about, you know, go, 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 let's work, let's work. Um, and we only really use the catapult for like after games. So we kind of look at the data and say, Hey, um, you know, our center backs, our mids, they ran over, you know, five, six miles. So they're not going to train Thursday, you know, to get ready for the game Saturday, but you know, they don't really do a lot of recovery. So him and I have kind of been back and forth what we, what we're going to do, um, and trying to figure it out, like Jorge says, like, there's still a bunch of numbers that, you know, I have no clue what they mean or how they came to those numbers. Um, so I think we're just gonna try and find, you know, pieces like, okay, like Thursday, maybe we'll do like a lighter session, like you said, in terms of load or, you know, XLD cells, things like that. So I think it's a great thing to use, but I think at the end of the day, what Zach said is just, you know, there's still people. And I think just using common sense and knowing your athletes say, Hey, like you may just need a lighter day and go about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think using the, using the numbers, you know, you, you say, Oh, performance guys said, oh like we just ran we just did more sprint distance high speed running yesterday than they get in a game maybe like by one and a half times or something like that like they're going to be sore you know for today's session let's keep it let's make it lighter you know and the coaches communicate that and you know they, they talk it out and, you know there's there's a different plan for the day right just to keep them and healthy so like i said you know, the numbers can be useful in that sense um but you can also guys come off the field really, really fatigued next day. They're, they're really, really sore, you know, and it's like, okay, like, you know, what, what are their bodies telling us? And we adjust from there. So a fun, unrelated to soccer question. Um, I'm the only one out of this foursome that didn't work with the lightning. Do you have a, a favorite memory from your lightning times? For me, I mean, there's a couple. I mean, Louis Domingue, the backup keeper coming out the hallway with different props after every win was just the funniest thing. I think one time he had a mask and like two flamethrowers flame coming down the hallway. Uh, but they just, they just always kept it fun. It was a, it was a fun place to work. Uh, yeah, and then you know, Mikey asking you to make things out of – tape like make something new out of tape that you never made before and for me i was like oh, i don't even know where to start but i ended up making a bow tie and i was like yeah now i still anytime i get you know wear something formal i, I make a bow tie for myself so i guess it stuck <laughs> i think the first the first one that popped into my head was uh i went on the road with them for a back-to-back -back. it was philly new jersey and Braden coburn normally wrestles uh mark the strength coach so he comes into the, our training room in Philly. I think it's Saturday night. And he's like, hey. I'm like, what's up, Cobes? And he's like, do you want to wrestle? And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, well, I normally wrestle Mark, but he's not here, so I need someone. 
And I'm like, all right, man, like we said, like whatever you need to do to get yourself ready to go. And like, if you guys know Brady and Coburn, he's like six, six, just an absolute moose of a human being. And he's like, all right, just come out into the hallway with like 38 minutes left. And I'm like, all right. So I go out there and we just kind of like lock up and I just get tossed around like a rag doll. And I'm just like trying to get some push and uh, I just couldn't do it. Um, so I had to do that Saturday and Sunday. I tried my best to uh, hold my own, but it you know, obviously it didn't really work out. Um, so that one, that one really sticks out. And then I think my first game, um, you know, we play in Montreal and the lightning get like one shot on net the whole period. And like, you know how we stand at the end of the hall, like when the boys come down after the period and, and Mikey just comes down and he looks at me, he goes, you're about to be fired. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> luckily they, uh, they woke up and well, heard that one. Yeah. Luckily, uh, I think I've got fired about five times. Um, but yeah, you know, like Zach said, it was a great environment. You know, you're there 15, 18 hours a day and it made it, you know, a fun group to be around. So, um, great experience. Yeah, definitely a fun environment. I think, I think, oh man, there's, there's, there's a few memorable moments, but I probably think the most memorable moment for me was in preseason, um, Yeah, I guess some of the guys came in and grabbed me and they pretty much said, like, hey, you got to come to the gym real quick. And I was like, all right. Mikey, of course, was like, oh, yeah, you got to go to the gym. Whatever they say, you got to do. So I walk in there and they were all waiting for me to start the strongman. So the strongman basically is a lot of exercises with minimal rest and a lot of weight. A lot of pushing, a lot of pulling, a lot of throwing, a lot of jumping. <laughs> and I catch myself pushing the sled for 20, 20 yards, about 400 pounds. I don't even know how I did that. And two sets in and I'm puking. <laughs> you have to do that. I'm puking I'm, and I'm laying on the ice because I'm just in shambles struggling and i was i disappeared for like 10 minutes i'm just laying on the ice and i don't think anybody found me i think they were probably they were probably concerned where i was and then i just came out <laughs> had to change my clothes i was just struggling yeah that was yeah. And all, I think, the guys, all the guys are laughing of course yeah. i think uh i think zach and i are, are the two guys that we broke the laser didn't you did you oh, yeah, I, I did do that. Uh, yeah, just doing treatment one day, and you start smelling a little, little something funky, and all of a sudden, oh boy, there's the thirty thousand dollar laser getting a little smoky. I'll, I'll. Uh, Thankfully, that was after the playoffs. Uh, I want to talk about what happened during that during that playoff season. Um, <laughs> well, they they made up for it, but uh, it was good thing My, I was uh, recently liked. Yeah. My uh, my laser story, it was like right before uh, COVID happened, actually. We were at the practice facility, and I was doing treatment with the laser, obviously, because the laser is literally good for anything from a concussion to a lateral ankle sprain. They literally use it for everything. Um, not for a concussion, just a, just a joke. But um, I went to I went to pick it up, and I guess, like, the cord got hooked on one of the, uh, the drawer handles. And, like, as I went to step, it got caught, and it, like, yanked me, and I just dropped it. It just fell to the floor, and me, Tom, uh, Christian, Brandon, we're all just, like, looking at it. We're like, 
oh my god and mikey's in the uh the whirlpool room and just hears the bang comes in, he goes what the hell happened and i'm just like um i think i broke the laser <laughs> but luckily we turned it off turned it back on and it was all right so and then you know COVID happened so didn't go back in so and uh the last one for me i i did beat steven stamkos in beer pong at his house just gonna throw it out there stammer so now the world knows <laughs> ready for a rematch Stammer, great hockey player, mediocre beer pong player. Good to know. <laughs> so uh, we asked our guests after at the end of each episode, just what advice do you have uh, for athletic trainers? You guys were young and upcoming professionals. Jorge, you answered this question as a student uh, previously on our podcast uh, back in the day. But, uh, you know, just what advice do you guys give in general about, you know, the profession or life in general? Uh, what do you got for us? Yeah, I just say, you know, be yourself, you know, let, you know, let, let that reflect in, in how you operate as a, as a clinician. Um, you know, always be, be open to, to new, new ways of going about things. And yeah, just, you know, in this profession, you, know, you gotta, we all know you have to work, to work your, your butt off and, you know, just remember to, to take the time to take care of yourself as well. And, you know, it's okay to ask for help and, and, and use the resources that you do have, um, to, to help, to help you. Um, you know, I think for me specifically, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who I'm always like, oh, yeah, I don't need to ask for help. Like I'm, I just, I can do it. I can figure it out on my own, but you know, I think it's, it's really easy to get burnt out that way. And so, you know, be yourself, you know, let that reflect in, in your work and, just, you know, we have the best job in the world and the most fun job in the world. And just, you know, having that gratitude for that every day when you, when you come to work. Um, and, and even though sometimes it's, it's tough and the hours are long and, you know, you might not get the recognition you, you deserve, um, you know, it's important that you have that understanding and, you know, you just, you get to, to, to start your day with that mindset. Yeah, I think for me, um, I'm going to try and keep it short. Um, probably, number one, not being afraid of getting out of your comfort zone. Any opportunity you get, just just go at it. Don't be, don't hesitant, don't be hesitant on it. And at the same time, if you don't know how to do something, or maybe you do know how to do something, but you don't know what the best way of doing it is, um, just ask questions. I don't think you can ask, you can never ask too many questions. Um, you can never over communicate. Um, asking questions to somebody who you may not even think may know the answer or may not even, you may not even think um, you'll get something out of. I think for me, you know, being around the staff that I'm with, um, outside of the sports medicine profession, just asking coaches questions, you know, our administration, our operations department, asking them questions. Sometimes the way they communicate, you can always pick stuff up from whether it's leadership standpoint or, you know, finding different ways to communicate with somebody that somebody may know better, very much more on, um, especially with, you know, having an intern or, or being a preceptor. Um, you know, this is my first time, um, 
kind of having a fellowship for program for for our sports medicine department and and it's been difficult you know like for me like kind of mentoring somebody for the first time in a very detail-oriented setting um, has been difficult and just asking questions to those that have had the experience on you know leading others has helped me a lot and at the same time reaching out to others in the industry don't be afraid to reach out to other people whether or not you think they're gonna respond or not you're not gonna lose anything out of it you know you're not gonna you know being scared to do it because they're not gonna respond or or because you don't you don't know what they're gonna respond you know that shouldn't be an excuse you never know if something comes out of it something positive can always come out of something that you probably will never know on um besides that i mean we kind of touched up on detail orientation and and being detailed in everything that you do in this setting is very important i don't necessarily just think that this setting um is important to be detail oriented i think every setting and everything that you do whether it's sports medicine related or just at home just you know doing at home projects you know um i just think that you know everyday life people that are detail oriented you know make it farther than others and and yeah those are probably the i said i was going to keep it short and i was like 10 minutes <laughs> yeah definitely definitely get yourself a mentor that helped me a lot so i definitely agree with that one we really glossed over the fact that jorge is one of our few repeat guests you're joining an exclusive club today jorge I know. Where's my shirt? <laughs> well, uh, you, if you come up with a shirt, we'll sell it to uh, <laughs> Santana, big time. Yeah, the Jorge Santana Memorial uh, repeat guest shirt. <laughs> All right, boys. Before we let you go, we're gonna do something we call uh, this or that. You ready? All right. Would you rather cover hockey or soccer? Soccer, because I have better understanding of the game, having played it. Well, this depends. Is it a one-time thing or are we talking long-term, you know? However you want to interpret it. All right. Well, I'll probably go with soccer. Same as Zach. Same reasoning. I'm going hockey, obviously. We'd love to work hockey, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Best place to go, Soho or Ebor? Soho for the memories. <laughs> McDinton's. So many can't times. Be, can't uh, beat it. Go to Dollar Beers or Happy Hour any day of the week. <laughs> All right, last thing, go to pub sub. Oh, it's gotta be it's gotta be the chicken tender, buffalo sauce, maybe some chipotle gouda cheese. Mm. And I worked at Publix for nine years, so, so I've had a lot of them. Did you ever work in the <laughs> deli? Were you ever a pub sub creator? I, I did have to I think help out a couple of times. Um, pretty much just stood there, but <laughs> but yeah, plenty I probably had over a thousand pub subs in my nine years there. Jesus. I'm going to go with the ultimate. You can't sleep on the ultimate. Yes. Oh, it's uh, There's a reason. There's a reason it's the ultimate. It's, yeah. it's the ultimate choice. A reason. <laughs> I think they need to make it like a national holiday when pubs up, when the uh, chicken tender pub subs go on sale. Like everyone stop what you're doing. Go to Publix, get a chicken tender sub. They're $6.99. I think there is a Twitter account that it's like our chicken tender subs on sale. It's just, <laughs> just sweet yes. <laughs> yes or no. That's amazing. 
Well, thanks for coming on, guys. I know you both are busy. This is a busy time of the year for y'all, so we appreciate your time. For sure. Yeah. Appreciate you having us. Yeah. Always good catching up with the boys. Yeah, mm-hmm. always good. Thanks so much for for having us. All right, boys. Thanks for you ever jumping on. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And as always, remember who you are. And make good choices.